Trinity Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We invite you to take out your Bibles and turn in them to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 6 as we begin today. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and the back part of it, turn to page 4, and you'll be at Matthew 6. Now, last week we launched a short series of messages I have entitled Treasure Principles. And the adventure and the thrill of seeking great treasure is something I think we can all identify with, and it has been a regular theme in movies. Last week when we began this series, we talked about the National Treasure movies with Nicolas Cage. And I was thinking this week about two other movies that star Matthew McConaughey. Uh, One was called Fool's Gold. It came out in 2008. He plays a deep-sea treasure hunter, and they're looking for the queen's dowry, 40 chests of treasures that were lost in 1715. And then he also starred in a movie in 2005 called Sahara, and uh, he plays a swashbuckling adventure in that movie. And there's this Civil War ironclad ship that was carrying a secret cargo of gold that somehow ends up in the desert in West Africa. So this is a constant theme in movies, and I think all of us have this inner desire, this drive deep inside to be a treasure seeker. And we saw last week that Jesus has commanded us to be treasure seekers. You have your Bible open to Matthew 6, look again at verse 20 where he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Be a treasure seeker. Now, as we did our message last week, I I got two sets of comments that came to me. Several people said this to me. Now, when you went very public and you said that things are going very well at Wildwood with the operating budget, And things are going very well with the Pass It On initiative as we seek to light the way for a new generation in building our children's facility. They said, don't you think that was a little risky? Don't you think that that could backfire on you and people might stop giving? Several people mentioned that to me, and and I had a couple of thoughts with that. Number one is, listen, I'm trusting God, and I'm trusting the people of God. Uh, But secondly, it just underscores my primary motivation for doing this series. And uh, and turn back with me to Philippians chapter 4, where we talked about that last week. And by the way, this is a series, so if you missed the first message, you need to get that, and it is available on our website at wildwoodchurch.org. But remember, the motivation I have in this whole thing is the same motivation that Paul had with the Philippians. He says in verse 17... I'm not seeking the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. You see, that's what's motivating me. I want all of us to have an increase of our account when it comes to heavenly treasure. 
And remember, in verse 18, he says that as we give to the kingdom of God, it is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When we are a heavenly treasure seeker, it thrills God's heart. Now, that's one set of comments I got from last week. Another one came from Keith Eaton, and this was very fascinating because he said, do you know, as you mentioned Nicolas Cage, that Nicolas Cage is having bankruptcy problems? And I hadn't heard that. Maybe some of you have. I did a little research. You know that in recent years, in one particular year, Nicolas Cage earned $40 million. In fact, in a 25-year period of his acting career, he has earned $3.9 billion, with a B, dollars. And yet, he was living a $30 million a year lifestyle. He had bought homes and land in four different states and all over Europe. He'd bought three castles, two islands. He had a jet and multiple yachts. And recently, he's found himself in big trouble. He owes $14 million to the IRS that he really didn't have, and he owed millions more to banks. When I was looking at all that and researching all of that, it just reminded me of what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Remember, he talked about how vulnerable treasures on earth are, where different things can affect that treasure, and yet treasure in heaven is very different. In fact, Paul in, in uh, 1 Timothy 6 talked about the uncertainty of earthly riches. But God has called all of us to be heavenly treasure seekers. And we talked last time, and again, I want you to get the message if you missed it, that heavenly treasure, I think, involves at least two things. Number one, it involves reward, and it's going to be reward that is beyond our imagination. Our eye hasn't even been able to ever see anything like it. And the second thing that our treasure is going to involve are friends, people who will be ready to welcome us into heaven, people who came to Christ because of the impact of some of what we gave to the kingdom of God, people who've grown in Christ in significant ways. Maybe their marriage was saved because of the impact of what we gave to the kingdom of God. And then we talked about two common barriers to be a heavenly treasure seeker. The first barrier is suffering from a severe case of affluenza, and we looked at that last week. But there's a second barrier we want to look at today to being a heavenly treasure seeker, and that is having nearsighted perspective. Nearsighted perspective in two ways. Number one, about how God has blessed us and also a nearsighted perspective about how God rewards us. And so that's what we want to talk about. We want to begin with this whole issue of having nearsighted perspective, particularly about how God has blessed us. And what we're going to share this morning, please understand, is extremely valuable perspective. It's for, as we stated last week, all ages. It's for all life situations, whatever you may be in. Now, I want to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer. I just want you to think about it for a moment. Are you wealthy? Are you among the rich in this present world? Now, if we were going to display on a screen our answer, our auto answer for almost all of us is no. We would say, no, I'm not wealthy. I'm not among the rich of this present world. After all, I do not get millions in an annual executive bonus like some in business. 
You might say, I'm not like Nicolas Cage, who in one year earned $40 million. I'm not like Alex Rodriguez, the baseball player, who makes $27.5 million a year. I'm not like Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, who makes $19 million a year. I'm not like Carson Palmer, the football quarterback, who makes $13 million a year. I'm not like Michael Schumacher, the racer, who makes $31 million a year. I'm not like David Beckham, the soccer star, who at one point was making $1 million a week. No, I'm not wealthy. I'm not among the rich in this present world. But I want you to know something. It's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective. February the 10th, Norman, Oklahoma, the low temperature was negative 4 Fahrenheit. How many people thought negative 4 Fahrenheit was cold? Come on, hey, that was cold. The same day in Nawada, Oklahoma, the low temperature was negative 31. That's up near Tulsa, negative 31. See, it's all a matter of perspective. I mean, that's nearly 30 degrees colder than negative 4. And by the way, that was the coldest recorded low in state history. But on the same day, it was minus 57 in Alaska. It's all a matter of perspective, you see. All a matter of perspective. And one of our problems we have, I think, at times, is we become very nearsighted about how God has blessed us among the world. Do you know that one half of the world, listen for a moment, one half of the world, that's three billion people, live on less than $2 a day. 1.2 billion people in the world live on less than $1 a day. Now, I want you to, to take note of a, a website. It's called Global richlist.com, globalrichlist.com. And what you can do is you can go there and you can put in your annual amount that you earn and see where you fall in all of the world. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Imagine that you're making minimum wage, which is $7.25 an hour, and you work a 40-hour week normally. You would, you would at that rate earn $15,080 a year. And I want you to see, you'll see a, a timeline there there's 100 people figures. The poorest is on one side, the richest is on the other, and if you make minimum wage 40 hours a week, guess where you end up? In the top 12% of all of the world. The top 12% of all of the world. And if you make $48,000 a year, do you know where you end up? you end up in the top 1% of all of the world. At $48,000, you're making more money than 99% of the world. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. If you have plenty of food to eat and you have a change of clothes and you own your home and you have a car, you're automatically in the top 5% of people in the world. 95% of the people in the world are behind you in terms of financial blessing. See, it's all a matter of perspective. You may have seen the, the banners coming in. Uh, we're going to be providing 
backpacks for Mexico missions, and they're going to go, one area they're going to go into is Puebla, Mexico. I want to show you some pictures of that area. First picture is a picture of somebody's home. See that little shack that's there? There's some sticks kind of tied together and sort of a, some kind of cloth as the roof. Look at the next picture. It's a picture of a, of a tent, basically, and a little cubby hole, and there's a, just a little fireplace there. That's where you cook your food when you live there. And then I want you to see this family. They're, they're living in front of uh, one of the fancier houses there, just sort of some salvaged boards and, again, some kind of material put on a roof. And you say, well, you know, I'd love to, to have a better kitchen than I've got. How about this kitchen? Take a look at this little kitchen here where basically you have nothing more than a, a little fireplace and there's some wood there and you burn the wood to cook your food. In fact, in the next picture, you'll see some tortillas uh, being prepared by the woman who lives there. How many toilets do you have access to? Well, here's... A, the family's toilet there with just a little bunch of boards around it, and uh, basically it's just nothing more than an outhouse, and that's the family's toilet. Not everybody there has one of these. And there's people that live here. You just have to see, look at the people that live here. These are real people. There's a, a young boy that's there, and these are the kinds of people that we're trying to reach. Look at the picture of the boy that's, that's up next. I want you to see that. And then we have a picture of a girl. I want you to see her picture. And then there's finally a, a little boy that, that's got one of the new backpacks that we're going to be filling in the next number of weeks. See, are you wealthy? Are you among the rich in this present world? It's all a matter of perspective. The truth of the matter, men and women, is that most of us in this room are in the top 5% of the wealth of the world and many in this room are in the top 1%. And you see, there's this mentality that we can get when it comes to investing in the kingdom of God and being a heavenly treasure seeker that says, I don't really have enough to give. And that's nearsightedness. It's not true. In fact, listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. I wonder if that would include all of us. Not to be conceited. We don't go around cocky about where we are. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but to fix their hope on God. You see, part of our problem is that keeps us from being a heavenly treasure seeker is we have nearsighted perspective about how God has blessed us. And men and women, we have been blessed. There are multitudes of millions of people who would look at where you sit or I sit and they would say, oh, to be there. But we also can be nearsighted in our perspective about how God rewards us. That's the second thing we want to look at, how God rewards us. You see, we have this common notion that goes on in the church that those who have the most to give are going to get the most reward. In other words, in our minds, we're thinking only large amounts are significant. We talked about last week about how our monthly operating budget is $109,000. 
And some of you, when you heard that number, you immediately felt overwhelmed and you're thinking, but what I give, it's not going to make a dent in $109,000. Maybe you're very, very young. Maybe you're in dire straits financially and you're thinking, what can my few dollars do? I really have nothing to offer. Well, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. I want to show you a passage that is very powerful, and I've always appreciated this. This is part of what I wish someone had taught me when I was younger. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Fascinating situation. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Anybody like to do people watching? Yeah, I like to do that. Well, you know, Jesus did the same thing. And I find it fascinating. He sat down in the temple area opposite the treasury, and he began to people watch. And he was observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Now, I want you to understand something. As Jesus is observing this, he has no criticism for rich people who are putting in large sums. He's not down on them at all. But he's just observing. And notice it says in verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. Now, the coin that is being referred to here was a lepton, L-E-P-T-O-N. And a lepton was one 128th of a denarius. Now, a denarius was a day's wage. So this coin was one 128th of a day's wage. And she put two of them in, it says, which amount to a cent. And the word for cent is the word quadron, Q-U-A-D-R-O-N. And, of course, a quadron, because it would take two leptons, was one 164th of a denarius. So, again, if you were just going to take minimum wage in America at $7.25 an hour and you times that times eight hours in a day, that would be $58. If you divide $58 by 64, it'd be about 91 cents. So in our culture, basically, she put in less than a dollar. Now, what I want you to notice is what Jesus said here. This is fascinating to me. And calling his disciples to him, he said this, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. That's a different way of looking at things, isn't it? She put in more than all of the contributors to the treasury, for they put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned and all that she had to live on. In other words, she gave in a sacrificial way. It was really costing her something to give. 
And God said, when I saw that, I'm crediting her with heavenly treasure that's bigger than all the rest of them. I remember being a college student and sitting in a, in a church. It was Indian Hills Community Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I remember there was times when the pastor would teach on giving. And I remember thinking this in the back of my mind at the time. This series isn't for me. Why am I bothering to listen to this? I mean, after all, this is for those people who have full-time jobs. I'm just a college student. This is for people who have full salaries. Someday in the future, <laughs> that'll be me. You know, someday in the future, I could afford to give. I want you to understand something. This truth is very, very critical. It is highly, highly, highly encouraging. What it means is that even if you have limited income, you can be a large giver in God's eyes. Now, we really don't know. I don't even know what people give in this church. But if we were going to have a secret poll and I would say, who are the large givers? I'm sure we would come up with some sort of a list, maybe a top three in people's minds. But you know what? I don't think our list would be the same as God's list. What that really means is if you're young and you don't have a lot of resources, you know it's possible that you could give more in God's eyes than your parents do? It means that you could have extremely limited income, but as you invest in the kingdom of God, you might be credited with more reward and more heavenly treasure than the wealthiest person in this body. See, this is encouraging. You see, God's economics are different than ours. Guess what? They come from another world. Another world. It's amazing how nearsighted that we can be when it comes to how God rewards us. Now, I want to show you a real-life illustration of this. So turn with me in the right to your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And as you're going there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. The believers at Corinth in general were quite unspiritual. They knew Jesus, but they were unspiritual. They were carnal. They were not a generous group of people. In fact, they had an earthly treasure focus rather than a heavenly treasure focus. And when Paul wrote his first letter to them, he challenged them to take up a collection for the relief of the believers in Jerusalem. And by the way, keep your finger here and just go back to 1 Corinthians 16. And I'll notice, you can notice where he tells them there. This is a challenge he gives them. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. He said, this is what I want you to do. But multiple months had gone by, and the believers at Corinth had procrastinated. So in chapter 8, Notice verses 10 and 11. He says, I want to give my opinion on this matter, for this is to your advantage. Now think about it for a minute. Why is it to their advantage? Philippians 4, 17. I'm seeking the profit which increases to your account, right? It's to your advantage 
who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. You wanted to do it. You were on board with doing it. But now, he says, finish doing it. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, there may also be the completion of it by your ability. Now, I want you to notice verse 12. He says, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. He says, when it comes to giving and storing up heavenly treasure and being a heavenly treasure seeker, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It isn't important how much you are able to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you don't have. So that's the background of everything. But I want you to see what Paul wants them to do in Corinth. He says, I want you to learn from the churches of Macedonia. Notice verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And if you want to go back and look at the history of that, you can go back to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 17, and he's referring to the people of Philippi and the people of Thessalonica. And you just go read that history and see what was going on there. And he says to the Corinthian believers, I want you to learn from these folks. I want you to learn from the churches of Macedonia. Notice in verse 2 he says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, the phrase that just jumps out at me when he says, I want you to learn about giving and investing in the kingdom of God. I want you to learn from the churches of Macedonia and notice that they were in deep poverty. Interesting phrase. The word deep in the original language is the word bathos, B-A-T-H-O-S. From bathos is where we get the word bathosphere. Remember, bathosphere is the deep diving chamber. Remember what a deep diving chamber looks like? It goes way down to the bottom. And that's the word that is tied to this idea of poverty here. In other words, they were more than just impoverished people. They were at the rock bottom economically. Now, why were they in deep poverty? We don't know fully. We don't know if there was an economic depression. We don't know if many of them had lost their jobs because they were following Jesus. And if you go back and read in Acts 16 and 17, that's a possibility. But one thing we know, their accounts were depleted. Not only were they in deep poverty, but they had this great ordeal of affliction there in verse 2. They had more than money issues going on. They were experiencing persecution and adversity. There was, there was a spiritual backlash they were getting from the Jews. There was great difficulty they were living under. In other words, life was hard. Well, think about that. Life was hard, and they were in deep poverty. And Paul says, you need to learn something from these folks. He says in verse 3, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And then look at verse 4. You know, this just amazes me. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. I want you to know something about 
that phrase there in verse 4, the little phrase, with much urging, there's a way in Greek that you can super emphasize that. And that's what it is here. He says, with much urging, much urging, they were begging us. The NIV, I think, says urgently they were pleading. Some of the other translations say again and again and again. It was very much like, you know, they began to say, we want to give, we want to invest. And and people were saying, no, 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 not you guys. I mean, look at how life is hard and look at how deep your poverty is. And they were going, no, 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 we want to do it. No, 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 we want to do it. We want to be involved. We want to be heavenly treasure seekers. Now, why would they do that? Well, I think there's several reasons. Part of it is that God had been gracious to them, and they had embraced the cross of Christ. Part of it is they knew that there were other people in need who were suffering. Part of it, though, I think, is they had a very clear, they weren't nearsighted, they had a clear grasp on how God rewards. And I think they knew that even little gifts can be significant in God's eyes. See, in one sense, if you think about it, on the human plane, they weren't going to make much of a dent in helping believers in Jerusalem. But they believed that God could use what they gave in a big way. Isn't that amazing? And you go, well, how do I get there? How do they get there? Well, the answer is in verse 5. They first gave themselves to the Lord. See, that's where it begins. And there's two aspects to giving yourselves to the Lord. The first aspect, of course, is the first time we give ourselves to the Lord. The first time we put our trust in Christ's death, rescuing us from sin and judgment. That that first time in which we realize that Christ died for our sins, and I want to trust in that, and I want to rest in what he has done, not in what I would somehow be able to do, but what he has done. This whole idea of having the opportunity to store up heavenly treasure to win reward and to win friends begins after someone becomes a follower of Jesus. See, if you're not yet a believer and a truster in Jesus Christ's death and burial and resurrection, God is not seeking your money. See, salvation isn't something that we buy. Salvation is bought for us by the blood of Christ, and it's offered to us as a free gift. But that's the first step, you see, in giving yourselves to the Lord. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made that life choice to believe in Christ? If you haven't, you can do that today. That's the first aspect of giving themselves to the Lord. But the second aspect is what happens after we've done that initial step, after we have trusted in Him as our rescuer from sin and judgment. You see, then we're in an opportunity now to give ourselves to the Lord in another dimension. We begin to live our life in the, in the idea and the perspective that we have been bought with a price and therefore I'm no longer my own. In fact, the resources that I have and whatever the money is that I have, ultimately, I don't even own that. God does because I've been bought with a price. And we give ourselves to the Lord after we come to know Him as our Savior by living lives that have the attitude of I'm a living sacrifice 
to Jesus Christ. I'm living my life out of gratitude for what he has done. The aim of my life is to honor him, to serve Jesus Christ. I owe it all to him and what he's done. And you see, if you hand over your life in that way, which the Bible talks about presenting yourselves as a living sacrifice, it's a very small step to then giving out of my resources to the kingdom of God. And you see, these believers had no need for anyone to coerce them or to pressure them. They were motivated by God's grace in their life. Someone said a number of years ago, I don't know who first started saying it, but they said one of the problems with a living sacrifice is it tends to crawl off the altar. (laughs) And that's still true. Are you still on the altar as a follower of Jesus? Remember, the Corinthians were believers and part of What Paul was saying to them is learn from the Thessalonians who were giving themselves to the Lord. They were being a living sacrifice. In fact, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul had been trying to teach this to them when he says, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, don't misunderstand anything I'm doing. I just want you to understand what my motivation has been as we go through this study. My motivation is seeking the profit which increases to your account. That's what I want for you. I want you to know that what you give and the way that you give it is well-pleasing to the one who bled and died for you. I want you to thrill the heart of God. Now, exactly how are we to give? Exactly how are we practically to store up treasure in heaven? Are there some specific principles? And the answer to that is yes. And we will look at those next week. But as we walk away from the Scriptures, we want to talk about some life response that we can have today. And I want to suggest two things. Number one, conduct this week a personal spiritual audit. Have you turned to Christ as your rescuer from sin and judgment? Deal with that. What would hold you back from doing that? But also, for those of us who know Christ, do a personal spiritual audit. I don't talk about where you were two years ago or a year ago spiritually. I'm talking about where we are right now. Do I have a daily attitude that I have been bought with a price and I am not my own? Do I have an attitude as I go through my week every week that I am a living sacrifice to the person of Jesus Christ. And that includes my resources. So conduct a personal spiritual audit this week. Second life response is double-check your treasure perspective. Double-check your treasure perspective. 
Ask yourself the question, am I really a heavenly treasure seeker? Do I really understand how God has blessed me? And do I really embrace this idea that God's economic policy is really different from the way that I think? Double check your treasure perspective. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for the Bible, and we thank you that it is so clear, so clear, and we thank you that each one of us has an opportunity to get to know God personally by trusting in what Christ has done, and I would pray everyone has done that. If they haven't, that they will do that. But Lord, it's so important for us to take some time every once in a while just to check. What is my attitude? Am I really a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ? Help us learn more about all of this so that one day when we get to heaven and we have friends that greet us and we get to realize some reward that we'll be thankful. We'll be thankful that we implemented your principles while we were on this planet. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.